Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, shopping secrets and public annoyances. Culture, in a way, has been replaced by consumer culture because the things that shape us A lot of what is around us is defined by material objects that we buy. What is XYZ company really selling? You know, it kind of romanticizes you and it gets you out of your rational, um, unreflective mind. And it kind of takes you like to this dreamy state where you might make an irrational decision and spend way more than you thought you were going to make. If you had one of those cars, it would say a few different things about you. One, that you're an early adopter of trends. You are forward thinking and innovative, but you also care what people think about you. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, or leave a review, we really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So we've all heard the sayings about how you are your stuff. You are the things that you buy. But why do you buy? the things that you buy. Our first guest is an expert in the psychological ways that brands use to try and get you to buy their stuff and what the stuff that you buy really says about you. This is consumer culture expert, Professor Sarah Grace. So what is consumer culture really? Hard to explain, but culture is something that is around us no matter where we are. And it's one of those things that's often unreflected on, but it influences so many aspects of our life. Well, in our modern world, culture in a way has been replaced by consumer culture because the things that shape us, it's not just values. It's not just music. It's not just where we go to church or if we go to church. A lot of what is around us is defined by material objects that we buy and things that are marketed towards us. So consumer culture is this thing that we all navigate daily because every day we wake up and we try to decide, I'm going to wear this and present myself to the world this way. I'm going to pull out this brand of computer and it's gonna have these different stickers on it to communicate something both to myself about myself, but also to others about who I am. And a lot of times our identity and our values and the way that we kind of get by in this world, we navigate 
through the help of consumer objects. But it's it's true in the sense that, right, like we kind of are our stuff. Like you could look at the things that I wear and that I own in my car and pretty much get a really good idea of exactly who I am. Is is there is there a point like looking back in history where you can identify like this is where that really changed and now you are your stuff? Even back in the Middle Ages, there were guilds of people who um, grouped together based off of their trade and different guilds were identified by their clothing or what they wore or even think about royal royalty. They wore certain colors and so you could identify who was of different social standings. Um, based off of their objects that they they adorned on their body. And they actually prevented people who were peasants or lower levels than them from being able to wear certain colors or wear certain things. So actually this idea, and it goes back to the ancient Romans and Greeks too. So like how are companies trying to get us to buy stuff we don't need? So if you think about basic economics, there's supply and there's demand. So the way that you asked your question assumes that there is more supply than demand and companies are trying to push things on consumers that they don't want. And historically, like when sales and marketing originated in the early 1900s, that is how a lot of companies operated is they would like create a ton of this type of vacuum and they would have door-to-door salesmen and they would have people go out and try to sell this thing that they already created. Well, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that started to switch And marketers really started focusing on, well, what do consumers want? And started creating things um, less of a push system and more of a pull system. So started creating things based off of what consumers either said they wanted versus uh, via research and focus groups and those sort of things, or um, based off of what consumers were actually buying. So they might have looked at point of sale data, which is a technology that was introduced Um, in the mid-century. And they might have said, well, consumers are buying a lot of cans, pineapple. Let's make more of that and let's make more varieties of that. So the thinking around are companies pushing us things versus are we demanding things and they're responding to that that desire, um, the shifting on that has changed. So I think it's a little bit of both. But for companies to grow, they have to create something new to so that consumers will want to replace the things that they already have with those new things. And so that's where we get trend cycles in the marketplace. And the easiest industry to see this in is with fashion. So fashion trend cycles are a beautiful example. They've gotten really short in the last few years, whereas people used to buy a new dress maybe once a year, and then they would buy another new dress the next year, and they would keep those in their wardrobe for years and years and years and repair them um, over time as they wore out. Um, Now the trend cycle and what is in fashion or what is on trend has shortened. And so you as a consumer feel like I need to buy more often and I need to replace these things that I already have that may be perfectly fine. And an innovation is a good thing. I don't want that to come off the wrong way. Companies are incentivized to innovate. But sometimes they innovate needlessly, and that's when we have excess. And um, you also have consumers feeling like they have to replace perfectly good stuff and get rid of things just because it's no longer maybe on trend. Who's driving the car, though? 
Like, are we driving the car or are the companies driving the car? Like, who I could have know. the... I don't know. Anybody know, knows who is driving the car. I think that there are people who have really strong stances. And some people would say it is purely companies driving the car through marketing, through promotion, through incessant advertising. They're spinning up the wheels of consumer desire. I think that there's some truth in that, but I also think going back to consumer culture, if companies stopped advertising today, they spent not another dime on advertising, we wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't be content or know how to not still buy new stuff that we don't need. Is there a segment of society that kind of keeps that engine going more than other ones? Oh, I hate to point fingers. I think if you're using the fashion industry again, social media has really changed this because if you were a high schooler in the Midwest and you went to school and you were walking down your hallway, you might've seen like, oh, there's some like new trends and like, maybe I need to go to the mall and pick up this new sequin purse or whatever it is. But you only kind of saw what was in your community. Social media obviously blew that out and there are there's this new trend of influencers posting shopping hauls especially from fast fashion retailers like Shein or Forever 21 um but primarily Shein and i think that you know they put those out on youtube they put those out on tiktok or instagram and they have tons of people just watching them open these $500 orders from this month and then next month they're going to do the same thing and they normalize this idea of it's normal to get a new thing for this one occasion or event, wear it, uh, take a picture in it, post it on social media, and not touch it again because it was so cheap. It was a $7 pair of shorts that, you know, I got my $7 worth and then move on. And so, again, I hate to point the finger on any one group, but influencer culture is one that has popped up in the last few years that I think keeps that alive. And it also, because it's global, you see people, you know, consume in ways that you might not have seen if it was just the people that you saw in person. I have a personal bias in this that may kind of contaminate the conversation, but I've always been the person that like, look, I got the same t-shirt I had in high school. I've been driving the same car for 10 years, right? Like I buy nothing new. So my question is though, like, can we stop this? Because if we suddenly stop buying this stuff, then what happens to the people who got hired to make this stuff, right? Like, does, does, it, does the economy collapse if we get ourselves out? Have we painted ourselves into a corner with this? And I think that that is a really good question. And when you're thinking about any kind of system change or promoting some sort of systemic change, you have to think of all the different stakeholders who are affected. And what's interesting about our consumer culture is that our consumption and our production is pretty far apart for most of the items that we consume, whether it's food, whether it's clothes, whether it's home goods, meaning that we have um, we have offshored most of our production. So I took an economic development class from an amazing professor in my undergrad who was from Bangladesh. And this was the point, the exact question that she posed to us is, okay, 
we stop buying fast fashion clothes that are made by women in Bangladesh, what happens to those women? What are their alternatives? And I don't know the answer to your question, but I do think what is important is for us to realize how connected our consumption behaviors are, both good and bad globally. So the things that you consume in the United States, in a Midwestern suburb, in New York City, in California, wherever, impact people across the world in both good and bad ways. It does give people jobs, but the question is, are those jobs safe? Are they paying a living wage? Um, do those people have jobs, but then their river or their water source is polluted because of the factory that's in their town? And so it's a very complicated question that I can't provide an answer to, but I think that you have to think of all the good and bad things that are connected. Do most people, when they buy something, like, do we know what we're really doing? Do we know who's actually making this? what their principles as a company are, or am I just like grabbing this thing off the shelf and like, yeah, that's a medium t-shirt and that's what I'm looking for. I think for most of us, shopping and consuming is a passive behavior. It's an unreflected upon behavior. It's just part of what we do. It's just normal. And it's not something that we stop and think a whole lot about. And you probably picked the one that your parents used to buy. And that's the one that you get and that's the one that you buy for the rest of your life and you just don't think about it. There are very few times that we stop and like really think about our purchases. If you're buying a house or a car or an engagement ring, something big, you stop and you really think and reflect on it. But most of our consumer behavior is that more like fast, habitual, like we're just kind of moving through the actions. And Conscious consumerism, to me, people define it differently, is that act of just stopping, pausing, thinking through, slowing down in the way that we think about our consumption behavior. Are you ready for some listener-submitted questions? Sure. It seems to be a big thing about brands being authentic. Are brands really authentic, or is this fake authenticity that they're now basically like we figured out how to act like that. So do, what, mm -hmm. I guess, what do you think about this push for authenticity? Brands are kind of put into this place where they have to differentiate themselves and be unique. And one way that they are unique is to have a personality. And if you have a personality, you don't want to have a phony personality. So of course you want to have an authentic personality. And I think that for a lot of brands, it differs, but the way that a brand can be authentic is to go back to their origin story. Every brand has a founder and a reason for being. Someone somewhere decided this product needs to be here and here's why. And so if a brand can go back to that origin story of why the brand exists in the first place, um, maybe tap into the spirit or the ethos of the founder, that's the way to create an authentic brand not to try to contrive a story that you think your consumers want to hear. Is there a store that stands out in your mind, like you walk in and the way that it's organized or set up the lighting, whatever gets people to maybe buy something that they otherwise wouldn't have. That's a hilarious question because 
I'm literally doing a TikTok series on this right now. Um, and it, all of the videos start off and they say, what is XYZ company really selling? And kind of paint a picture of how the brand makes you feel a certain way when you enter your space and how it transports you to a different state of feeling a certain way about yourself or, you know, it kind of romanticizes you and it gets you out of your rational, um, unreflective mind. And it kind of takes you like to this dreamy state where you might make an irrational decision and spend way more than you thought you were going to make. And so a brand truly sweeps you off your feet and then you walk out and you're like, how did I just spend $200 on a tea kettle? Because the the object itself is maybe nice, but it's not that nice. So to answer your question, a couple that I've, I've featured recently are Anthropology, which is a retailer that mostly caters to uh, women's clothing and home goods, stationary mugs candles, things like that. And they sell an entire feeling of kind of like a, like a, mm, what's the word? I know what you're, I know what you're trying to like, right? Like I've got my life together and it's good kind of feeling. (laughs) That too, that too. But also like, I am a free spirit who has my life together. Right. It's not because you have to have a lot of money to shop there. So you have to have some sort of income coming in, but you also, it's not like your J crew preppy, you know, blazer style. It's this bohemian kind of free spirit vibe as well. And so it might even be that it's offering you an escape from your nine to five corporate job into this imagined state where you're really a free spirit going to a grateful dead concert. So anthropology does a great job of romanticizing the consumer and they spend a lot of time in each of their stores, um, merchandising their product. They hire local artists to come in and do different window displays. They flip and rotate the way that their merchandise is displayed. Um, I've heard on a weekly basis so that if you walk in every week, it feels a little bit different even though it's the same merchandise. Is there an example of one that's the exact opposite? Hmm. Well, anthropology is trying to sell you on emotion so that you'll pay a little bit more. A lot of your lower price retailers are not trying to sell you any kind of an emotion. They're just trying to serve that functional need for you. So if you think of like a Dollar Tree or a Dollar General, you go in there and there is no romanticization. It's basically the product and the prices and it's very straightforward. It's kind of, I, I sometimes I guess I just feel like a fish that is always getting caught. <laughs> well, perhaps part of the reason for that is that market research is really good and consumer research is really good. They know a lot about you. Um, companies spend a lot of energy you know, going on trend scouting hunts and they will peruse the internet and they'll practice social listening activities to see what people are talking about organically. And when they spot an opportunity, of course, they're going to try to package it up. And how do we sell that back? Marketers have become ethnographers in a way 
where they observe the culture and they observe consumers in their natural habitats and they stay out of the way and they take notes and they make observations and they draw conclusions about what they see going on or they they take data and see what consumers are actually buying and they use that without ever actually talking to the customer and then they are able to put together an offering that resonates with the consumer and the consumer gets it and they're like huh this company really knows me and it's because yes they are deeply <laughs> observing your behavior what is chwege can you spell it c-h-e-u-g-y Oh, oh, am I pronouncing that like so badly? It's a completely yes. different word, isn't it? Okay. Totally different word. Okay. Um, what is it actually? So what you were trying to say is chuggy, which is a terrible sounding word. It's awful. It's awful. Chwege sounds awful. better to me. Chuggy. Oh, I don't even want to say it. Um, so chuggy is a word that I didn't know existed until I got on TikTok. And it basically goes like this. People would post a video and they would say, these are the things that are chuggy. And then they would show, you know, a slideshow of consumer objects like pants or a style of shoe or whatever that they viewed as a mix of both dated, but also oversaturated. So it was a consumer trend at one point that was everywhere, uh, accessible to many people. They got it. It was probably eight or so years ago. And now people are labeling it as chuggy. So instead of just saying like, oh, that's outdated, it's like oh. a new way to say that, but it, it has a little bit like an insult flair to it. It's you're hopping on a trend too late or you stayed on it too long. You stayed on it too long is what it is. Um, okay. You're very objective. So I'm going to try to ask you this question in a way that maybe you can answer. Okay. Without saying if you judge it negatively or positively, what brand would tell you the most about somebody? Like, oh, <sighs> this brand, I know exactly who you are. I think that the easier a brand is to describe, the stronger the brand is. And this has changed too in the past couple of years. All right. So the first brand that I wanted to say was Tesla. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like yeah. even in the past couple of years, because their uh, production is ramped up and their distribution has increased, more people own Teslas than before. But two years ago, if you had asked me that question, easily my answer would be Tesla. And if you had one of those cars, it would say a few different things about you. One, that you're an early adopter of trends. You are forward thinking and innovative, but you also care what people think about you. And I think that all three of those things are true of early Tesla owners. That might stir some people up. Can you break down like in your research, have you done studied this so much that like you can break down people by exactly the brand? Like if I'm like, okay, uh, Patagonia, <laughs> right? Can you like, uh, so you are this. That's right. another one that's changed so much in the past 10 years as well. Like Patagonia 10 years ago meant something much tighter because the people who wore Patagonia 
we're in a very specific subset of mostly an outdoor crowd. Like you were buying Patagonia to go hiking or to go rock climbing, but I live in a college town. So when I go to the store, I see Patagonia on everybody. Everybody's wearing Patagonia. And these are not necessarily people that are going out and participating in outdoor extreme sports. So that's a brand that the meaning has, I don't want to say evaporated, but the meaning has diluted over time as people who are not in their target market adopt it. And that's what happens is the bigger a brand gets, their brand meaning is not as tight anymore. Is there a brand that just tells you nothing about someone? Apple. Like, And I feel like 10 years ago, again, Apple might have told you a little bit of something. But now I think people buy Apple because it's the cultural norm. And I think that it's ubiquitous. But again, I'm on a in a college town. So it seems like everybody has an Apple computer or everyone has AirPods. And I just don't feel like it tells me anything. And I feel like it tells me something if they have an Apple computer, not an iPhone necessarily, right? Like I don't see the difference in people's phones. Like, oh, that, that tells, I mean, unless it's like a burner phone and then you're probably a drug dealer or you've got like something else going on. You know, now I kind of know something about you. I think that's a fair point. So the iPhone brand in particular. Um, but when I was teaching, it was always interesting. Everyone would sit down, pull out their laptops. And nine times out of 10, it was an Apple. But those nine people were all very different. I could ask you questions about every single brand that you could imagine forever. Um, but to avoid that, like, are there any other brands that you would that stand out to you and like, this means this? Or this doesn't mean anything. Um, Starbucks is another brand that I've been really boggled by the last few years. When you read about the history of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, the previous CEO, he had gone to a trip on a trip to Milan, Italy, and fell in love with cafe culture and wanted to bring that to America. And so he got to the States. He tried to like recreate cafe culture, Starbucks as a third place to home and work, um, a place for people to like be and gather and, and socialize. The Starbucks brand to me doesn't mean that anymore. And I can't put my finger on what it means because Starbucks has things like unicorn frappuccinos, which are kind of like a goofy Instagrammable play. They're not necessarily Italian coffee shop they're kind of all over the place. And that's a brand that is an example of, I think they have some work to do. What is great about brands is that they can be markers of things like quality. I think that brands play an important role. I just don't think that they should play an outsized role in our lives. So brands have a, a place because they do legitimize what you're buying, or at least that was the original idea. Um, Some brands take advantage of that basic assumption and make it seem like you're getting more than you're actually getting. 
Like I feel like a Mercedes Benz and a BMW are basically kind of the same kind of car, at least in the United States. But the Mercedes Benz says something completely different about something than a BMW says. Like I look at someone who bought a Mercedes and I think that's a person who's probably doing pretty, pretty financially well. Not They're not ostentatious and they want something that works. I see somebody, I've never met a man who drives a BMW that's not a douchebag. Like that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like that's an immediate sign to me. Like, oh, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Right. And that word that you used, sign, um, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail, but there's a whole field of marketing that looks at the study of sign meanings and what things signify. And it's called semiotics. And it's actually not just a marketing exclusive field. It actually was born out of linguistics, but semiotics is the study of science. And so that's part of what I studied in my training in consumer culture is to understand, okay, these things signify certain things to different people. And sometimes people interpret those meanings differently. So a lot of times marketers are trying to really tightly figure out what those meanings are and then manage them because they want everyone to interpret BMW the same way. That's when you have a strong brand. So like I said, Starbucks, I have a hard time defining what Starbucks is right now. And that's because different people would define the brand differently. And I don't think that they're managing those meanings in a really uniform way. And strong brands have a pretty uniform meaning. Is shopping difficult for you? Like, I feel like you would go into a store and just evaluate like every single thing. Like, oh, I know why they put that display there. Shopping is not fun for me anymore. Sometimes if I can like detach myself, but I feel like I know too much. I know too much. I want to thank Professor Grace so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included her information in the episode description. She's a really good follow on TikTok too. Really good perspective about consumer culture and just how fast trends can change. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. But before we do, this conversation started out a little bit differently because we were talking about the idea, well, what would, what would, ha- what would you do to your house if you got bed bugs in it or had like a termite infestation? And John said that, well, he'd burn down his house. And that just kind of got me thinking, do you know somebody who could participate in criminal activity for you? Like if you needed something done, hey man, got to get insurance. Can you burn down my house? I need this thing. It's illegal. Could you get it? Yeah, I do. But whether or not I trust that person to successfully carry out whatever I would be asking them is another question. You don't trust them because you don't think they would do the job correctly? Or you don't trust them because you they you think they might just take advantage of you. Like they're too much of a criminal to help you out with legitimate criminal activity. I would say both, actually. I I don't think I would trust them, and I also don't think I, I think they would screw me over for for their betterment. Yeah, I'm trying to hire somebody to murder somebody I know. I mean, it's never gonna work. It's gonna be a complete shit show. For, I'm gonna be like the Tiger King. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. But what about if it's not like super criminal activity like that? Like what if you need like, hey, look, I'm out, I need 
I need somebody to steal my car. Like, could do you know somebody that you could trust to steal your car? Ooh. Once again, I, I'm going to say I do, but I just feel like it would get fucked up. I really do. I don't know why. Yeah, it's hard to find somebody in the right stage of criminal activity because if they weren't <laughs> going to screw that job up, they're probably at such a high level of criminal activity that they're not stealing cars anymore, right? Like that's not that's not worth <laughs> Tony Soprano's time. Like I can trust Tony Soprano, but he's not doing that anymore. You got to get like 20-year-old Tony Soprano and those are really hard to find. I once made a very I once made a very dumb argument. That looking back on it, I'm not sure if it was that dumb now in hindsight, but that the the worst people among us, you know, people who have committed murder multiple times that never get caught, there's a reason why they never get caught is because they are, you know, that maniacal and that good at, at doing that stuff. Now, if I ask somebody that I think I know if they could steal my car for me, which is a completely different scenario, I'm not going to trust them. And they're going to mess it up, and then I'm going to end up going to prison. Because I'm not smart, that smart in the first place, or crazy enough to pull it off, I don't think. You do kind of strike me as the kind of person who would hire someone for criminal activity and then, like, write a check. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, like, oh, hey, can you steal my car? But here, let me, you know, use my visa to get you some gas. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You wouldn't, you would screw it up in a very obvious way, but it wouldn't be the first obvious thing, right? Like, all right, I know I'm going to go ahead and like call the drug dealer on a burner phone, but I would pay for the burner phone, like with my Venmo account that is clearly (laughs) tied to my name. Yeah. Like I see what you're saying. Um, okay. All right. Getting a little bit more on track. Uh, do you think what, like, do you think about the things that you're buying before you buy them? Oh my God. Like how much do you think about it? How, man, you literally are stalking me or you have some kind of intuition, you know, instinct with me. I literally had this this happen to me last night. I was on eBay and I there there's something that I've been wanting to perch for a while now and it's very expensive. And sometimes it comes up and I, I put random bids in, right? I bid on the, the item. I never get it because it always goes for a crazy amount of money. Well, it just so happens that I won the bid for this item last night, and it was hundreds of dollars. And I got the notice at like midnight that says, oh, hey, you won the auction. You know, you owe this much money. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I've had a feeling like that recently where I've made a purchase where I just uh, <laughs> immediately regret it. Uh, so I'm... I mean, I played right into that question. I'm going to say absolutely to your question. What did you buy? <laughs> it's even more embarrassing. Uh, a trading card. Of? Lewis Hamilton, an F1 driver. You paid hundreds of dollars for a trading card of a Formula One driver for all right, I understand that you're this is for people who don't know, John is a bandwagon sports person. He goes from sport to sport to sport, becomes a huge fan of it, and then he forgets it about a couple months later. It was college football where he was Mr. College Football, then it was pro football, and he's got all these jerseys. Then he goes into soccer and he's a huge soccer fan. Then it's hockey. Now, right now, he's in a Formula One kick that's gonna last for a couple more months. And you 
What is a grown man doing with a trading card of F1 in the United States where it is not a collectible thing? Well, I mean, first off, uh, I mean, it is very collectible. And F1 merchandise is very collectible. And these cards, yeah, are... I've heard. There's all kinds of there's there's all kinds of stories about it. All I can't tell you, right? It's just right up there with bitcoins in the news every day. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I'm I'm not going to sit here and try to validate it, but there is definitely. Uh, I mean, it's a niche, right? Like everything, pretty much. It's not like Pokemon or like Topps baseball cards, but there's a niche for it. I never know how to pronounce that word, that N-I-C-H-E. Is it niche or niche or niche? That's why I wasn't sure either. When I said it, I'm like, he's going to butcher me. And you didn't. So I continued on. Well, I don't actually know what it is. I have no idea if it's niche, niche, or niche. Not a clue. (laughs) I, I, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy. I have no idea. I always thought it was niche. But when you say like that, there's like S-H. Yeah, I I have no idea. Niche. Niche. Going to get me some quiche. No one. Yeah, it's like quiche, but with an N. Niche. (laughs) Niche. Okay. All right, let's just go ahead and move on here. (laughs) I mean, what? I mean, I'm curious. You're not a compulsory buyer, right? You're not a. Not at all. No, I'm probably one of the cheapest people alive. Every time I buy a car, I buy the cheapest car that I want. Do you want power locks? No, I have hands. I can reach over there and hit it. I'm not wasting $600 on power locks. Get the fuck out of here with that. I mean, I don't, well, you're quite passionate about that. I I mean, power locks are kind of nice sometimes. Yeah, they are. The only feature that I would pay extra for is the backup camera, which is very, very nice. But anything else, like, hey, this you can get this model for $1,000 more. It's got power locks. Cool. I have these hands and they're free. <laughs> God, I would feel bad having to sell you a car. You would be the worst. I've been told it's just a truly awful experience. <laughs> My wife had to apologize to the person. It's like, hey, this is just how he is. It's an <laughs> asshole. Yeah, I've had to apologize a few it. times on your behalf too. Okay. All right. Let's move ahead. Let's go ahead. All right, man. Let's give some shout outs to people who are not like you. They're actually good people, we think. Uh, we'll start with Christopher Kane, Martin Dice, Marco Margreter, uh, Billy Donovan, Thomas Lackner, Estella Hasrick, Devon Fuller, Nina Lucy, Sven Thorner, and Nico G. Appreciate all of you checking us out last week. All right. Uh, would you rather always? Uh, would you rather get a red light for the rest of your life? Every time you're out driving, like every light's red, or get slow internet for the rest of your life when the sun goes down. Oh, good one, man. Okay, so for me, this is a relatively easier answer than I think that it would be for most people because I live in a city and currently have a job that doesn't require me to really drive very much. So the red light thing is not a huge issue for me mm-hmm. at this moment. Yeah, I think you'd rather get a red light every time you were driving because slow internet would just, oh, first of all, I'm not going to be able to watch my programs. Second of all, I'm not going to be able to do my extracurricular activities when the wife goes to sleep. So those are two major concerns that I just can't have. I got a tight time frame that I got to be able to do things in and slow internet is just not acceptable in that regard. (laughs) 
I will also say I'd rather do the red light because, yeah, slow internet at night would be interrupting some things. Now, okay, here's a question, though. Would you rather have get all red lights or get all aging yellows all the time? Uh, you know, probably yellows because I go through them anyways. But eventually, man, eventually you're going to catch it, right? Yeah, like but you, I, there's a little bit of risk. There's always like a little part of you that's like, oh, crap. <laughs> Am I going to yeah. get hit? Am I going to get a ticket? Would you rather have all red lights or all aging yellows? I'm still going to go with aging yellows, but you're right. That feeling is, is real. That feeling is 100% valid, what you just said. Yeah, I, that would get really old. That get really <laughs> tiresome. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, all right. Um, let's say f- two weeks after a one night stand, what's what's a worst message to receive? Uh, that that person's pregnant, or that you now have an incurable STD? It depends what exactly the STD is. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. God, I'd almost rather get the pregnancy message. <laughs> right? I'd almost rather get the pregnancy message because maybe it's not mine. <laughs> There's a possibility that it might not be mine, but like, hey, look, you got this and you just picked it up. Like, there's nothing you can do. Now, I mean, some, there's some incurable STDs that, quite frankly, for men, you probably have it and you don't even know. Right? There's something like 70% of the people in the world have herpes and most people like that's a ridiculous stat. So basically everybody who's ever slept with somebody has herpes, right? Like that's a crazy stat when you think about it. Yeah. So like that kind of STD, is that, is that really that big of a deal? But you don't want to catch herpes simplex 10, like where your dick's going to fall off or right. Like, <laughs> Oh, by the way, you're going to be dead in the next 24 hours or you're like, your, your genital area is now going to look like an atom bomb. Right. Like those aren't that's ooh. so that's what I would say. If it's one that you don't kind of know about, I'm gonna go with the STD. If it's one where you're gonna look down and go, what the fuck is that? <laughs> then I'm gonna go with the pregnancy. I think I'm always gonna go pregnancy just because there's a lot more outs there than if you get an incurable STD, regardless of the severity. You could leave the country, but you can't leave behind herpes. My, my my current event's pretty lame this week, uh, but a question was br- a question was brought up to me, and it made me think because uh, I haven't really thought about this. Believe it or not, I'm a thinker, uh, and that is just: Are there too many TV shows out there in terms of just? Uh, could that be a reason? And this is a crazy thing to think about. So stay with me here, but. Back in the day, there was a, a certain set number of TV programs, and everyone kind of came together, and that's all you had. Now you literally have, I don't know, a thousand TV shows, different news, everything else, and it seems like everyone's even more separated. Do you think that, that, that TV plays a role? Yeah. I mean, I think that media is one of the ways that we kind of all come together. You know, people are in different places. They're doing different things, different personalities, but we can always kind of coalesce around a movie or a TV show or any kind of a media like that. I don't really think that there's too many of them necessarily. I think that there's too many of the same things. 
like you go on Netflix and you basically have a choice between kind of young adult fantasy kind of stuff and basically true crime. Like you look at podcasts, there's essentially true crime podcasts and business shows. There's not many shows like ours, right? Like it's really hard to find something that is different and good. It's kind of like we've got Coke and Pepsi and then 50 different varieties of Coke and Pepsi, but it's still all Coke and Pepsi. Like, come on, can we get some Sprite? Maybe a little <laughs> Orange Crush, a little Fanta. Like we've got a ton of things, but they're all kind of the same thing. I watched the Squid Game, which I know you didn't watch. And now, Too I'm scary. On, now I'm on to a show called Alice in Borderlands, which is essentially the same thing, but it's set in Japan. Okay, so our, what is our top five? I forgot exactly what we called it. Oh, <laughs> top five most annoying, annoying. public behaviors. Yeah. yeah, so annoying things that people do in public. What's your number five? Uh, licking Someone who licks their fingers, like maybe after eating or something. Just, I mean, there's not a whole lot that's that bothers me more than just... I know we're on video and people can't see us, but it's it's like this sound, like, you know, yeah. I work, um, oh, I probably should have said that. Uh, I know somebody who works with some folks who are are, are, are are eaters like that, and it's just like, man, come on, what are you doing? People's bodily personal habits generally don't bother me that much. So like stuff like that, burping, farting, it doesn't usually bother me that much. See, I, I but, think that's yeah. almost all, all of my list is, is hygiene stuff. Really? Yeah, I don't have too much on there about that. Uh, my number five is people who walk in the middle of the sidewalk or the aisle. Just oh. like pick a side. Pick a side. That oh. is quite, uh, oh, yeah, that is that is annoying as hell. It's incredible their ability to like drift too. Like they don't walk down the middle and just stay in the middle. They drift just enough that like you can't get around them either way. It's amazing how they do it. Like it's like they slowly like a wave in the middle is what they do. Okay. <laughs> uh so this one is is thanks to to COVID and most of us working remotely. But uh, specifically when you're on some kind of teleconference or, or, or video conference and uh, someone doesn't put themselves on mute and you can hear everything that's going mm. on. Um, and man, that is that's annoying. That's real annoying to me. See, I, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I can I understand why it is annoying. But to me, I actually enjoy it because it, to me, it breaks up the meeting in the sense of like, what's going on in their house? Like, what are they doing? No, man. What's I'm, happening back there? Maybe a quick joke, but not when it just goes on. And it hasn't happened too many times to me, but I have been on probably a half a dozen where for four or five minutes, you just hear, you know, something. One time I thought I heard a toilet flush. I thought we were going to have a fun moment, but person came back and said they were just washing their hands. So I've come out of the bathroom into a Zoom meeting before. And I was completely – see, but to me, like, so much of life depends on how the person reacts to it. I think that you can do an incredibly embarrass embarrassing thing, but if you just act like it ain't shit and it's just part of your day, nobody else has any kind of a reaction to it either, right? Like if you pop up on a Zoom and you're just digging in your nose and you're just like, I got this thing. It's driving me nuts. I got to get it out. I don't sure. think that anybody would really have a – like, I'd be like, oh, man, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, I mean, let me know when you're done. Hundred percent. I would. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me know when you're done. 
Let me know when you're done. This one's a recent one for me, but it's replying all to emails. Learn how to just reply to the person who sent it. <laughs> uh, you said that's just a recent one for you? It's only recently become annoying to me. I've always found it entertaining, but now it's been like, just send one email. We don't need to reply all. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... I usually just delete it after, you know, after I do what I need to do. I just delete it. I don't even look at the responses half the time. I don't either, but still, I just, I don't understand it because you have to purposely go and find reply all. Like, why are you making this conscious decision? It's not like that's the default. You've got to go do that. Okay. Well, anyway. All right. What's your number You're three? Kind of ranting and raving today, man. I, I like it. Fired up today. Must not I'm have got much, much sleep. Um, uh, so my number three is people who uh, uh, you hear their conversations, whether or not their phone's too loud or they put, you know, the phone on speakerphone, just, you know, people who let you hear Ooh. the conversation that they're having, uh, whether it's inadvertently or on purpose, that's still annoying to me. I My only issue with that is I would completely agree with, I think that that should be higher on the list. I think that's a number one or a number two. At the very least. Well, my number one is... I can see it as a number two. My number one is completely personal. So you you could be right. It could be number one or two. I can't think of very many things that are more annoying than like... Now, are you more more annoyed by a conversation or somebody's like playing music loudly? I mean, it depends where I am, but I'm just going to say just for the sake of the simple question, I'm going to say... Uh, like talking, like having a conversation more than music. I'm more annoyed if it's music. Because I, I can eavesdrop in on your conversation. And I might <laughs> find that to be interesting. I almost always find somebody's conversation to be interesting. But I don't usually find somebody's music to be interesting. Okay. Uh, my number three is um, snapping your gum. And that like okay. loud thing. Like people crack their gum. And then yeah. my number two is also speakerphone conversations or music in public settings. What's okay. your number one? Well, I'm on my number two. Oh, okay. Sorry. Which is uh, driving. Uh, when you're driving, uh, you know, you always there's a slow car in front of you, and they won't go ahead and get out. It's kind of <laughs> like the walking down the middle of the street. Same thing with a car. And then you try to go past them, and someone's on the right, you know, or the left. It's just. You know, how many times have you been in that situation where you're like, man, I just want to push these people off the road and keep going? I don't advocate road rage. How now? Wait a minute. How do you feel about a right lane pass on the highway? Like, how bad does it have to be before you're going far right lane passing? Oh, um, probably. I mean, obviously, if there's at least two left lanes where I can tell the traffic is like I'm going to be coming up on them pretty fast. Then I'll jolt over to the far right lane and, you know, do kind of a dip and duck on them. Mm. That's the one thing that I'm still kind of like, ooh, you're really not supposed to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't abide by I, I, basic traffic laws. We know this. I I don't, but still, that's like, ooh, you're taking a little bit of a risk there, friend. You're taking a <laughs> risk. Okay. Oh, uh, What's your number one then? So it's, it's actually, it's a twofer. I have a two... Two for at number one. The first part is uh, like chewing or loud chewing or like gum smacking, kind of what you said earlier. Just 
Mm. I mean, okay. that is okay. I mean, we're all adults here. Shut your mouth and chew your food like a grown up. And then uh, right. the second one, which is the more personal one, is when somebody doesn't hold the door for me when they see me coming. Like you'll make eye contact any... with the person and they'll still let it shut. I don't. What are you doing? I can't think of a single instance in which that's ever happened to me, where I've made eye contact with the person and been close, and they didn't hold the door. What are you doing? I mean that you know this happens. I don't know, probably two or three months ago, walking into Coles with my uh, with my wife, and uh, I was in front of her, and there was a woman, obviously opening the door and she looked at me and just let it shut. And I'm like, wow. Wow. All right. How far back were you? How far back? How many steps before you reached the door? Probably 10, 15 steps away. It wasn't that far. That's fine. It's fine. You need to be within five to 10. It's not her responsibility to sit there and hold the door open forever. Was it in a, like, was it in a shopping mall? Because you could have cut the other direction, right? You can call it a shopping mall. Sure. There are other entrances or whatever. Yes. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with you. What's your number one? I think you're being a little bit sensitive about it. It's also interesting that she took a look at you and was like, that guy ain't going to do shit. (laughs) You know, like, like last episode or the episode before I brought back all those first, first date memories, all those first date (laughs) amazingness. How many times you get stood up? How many times, times they leave before dinner? Three, Three times. times. Before dinner. <laughs> did you finish your dinner? Uh, did you finish your dinner alone? Once I did, yes. Because I think I said this, but like we had ordered drinks and then dinner, so I had a full drink, and you know, which was a cocktail, and then I just Don't slipped that. on that. What? What's wrong with cocktail? It's just not the kind of word that. Uh... You should men should be using. I hate that word. Can I say always hated it. I had a drink. I had a drink, or call it what it is. Because when somebody says cocktail, the first thing when a man says I had a cocktail, the thing that I'm imagining is they got something like an apple martini or a chocolatini, and they just they don't have the heart to tell you what it like. They're embarrassed about what they're drinking, but they want to let you know that they were drinking hard alcohol, so they say cocktail, <laughs> like. No, Tell us was, you had a sex on the beach. Like I got a kamikaze on ice. No, this was uh gin and tonic. All right. So then say a gin and tonic. That's, there's figured, no shame in that game. Absolutely not. I just heard cocktail was simple. We could move on. But apparently you hate the word cocktail. I don't like it. I don't like it when people say it because I feel like they're trying to lie to me. They're trying to lie to me about what they're drinking when they say cocktail. And everybody knows what they're really doing. It's not like you're drinking moonshine straight from the barrel because then you're going to let people know you're having like i said like i'm having a strawberry daiquiri and that's probably why that woman got up and left because you're like oh can i get a strawberry daiquiri and she said nope and walked out the door yeah okay uh my number one is a i'm going to confine it to a motorcycle but any kind of loud obnoxious noise i hate that like when you've got one of those loud motorcycles, and I am a motorcycle owner and support motorcycles, but that's just ridiculous when somebody's like, like oh, I'm not I sure what you it. have I can be classified as a motorcycle. It's like a modified First dirt bike. <laughs> First of all, 
that's funny. <laughs> Second, it is a motorcycle. It's a regular motorcycle. The Black Bat, baby. Had it since 2006. Still running strong. It's 15 years old. Think about that. Uh, yeah, no, I hate that. I hate loud, obnoxious noises. That's Which is funny. ironic because that's how you could define my personality. <laughs> what's in your right? What's in your what's in your what's in your uh, honorable mention? Uh, let's see here. Most of these, I guess, that are hygiene stuff, like people who scratch themselves, specifically men who I got no problem with that, you know, or, or like walk around, you know, like just just trying to take care of business. And it's just like you, you could have just adjusted your pants. You had to stick your whole hand down there to adjust yourself. Um, what you, what would, OK, on a scale of one to ten, where would you rate your adjusting yourself in public abilities? How good at it are you? Like I can make one is you're terrible. Like you got to take your pants down and move it around. And 10 is like you can just nobody would even well, notice. Like well, you I could mean, do it while making a speech at a podium that was see-through and nobody would know. Like that's a level 10. Where would you say that you are in that ranking? Well, I mean, listen, when you got a peeny weenie, it's not that you don't have to adjust Thanks. much. So I'm going to say 10 out of 10. Okay. I'm probably like a seven. Like it's my adjustment abilities are probably around a seven. All right, okay. So what else you got in your honorable mention? I'm just going to go um, ahead and say yes or no to all of yours. Uh, biting nails and spitting them out. Disgusting. Uh, picking your nose, which you already said doesn't bother you. I'm okay uh, with it. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, and that, that was all I had. I thought I had more, but it looks like I didn't. Um, I have just the most of mine, I guess, in my honorable mention would kind of broadly qualify into obliviousness, just not understanding that there's other people around you, you know, that kind of like taken forever, not putting your shopping cart away, like not having any kind of concern for other people around you. What I would say basically encompasses all my honorable mention. (laughs) <laughs> just not not being self-aware of the world around you. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a review. We really appreciate it. Really helps us out. And we'd love to know, what are some of the things that you just can't stand somebody doing in public? Just can't. This like, oh... It's the worst doubt. And we'd love to know, what are some of the things that you just can't stand somebody doing in public? Just can't. This like, oh, it's the worst. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.